since the age of enlightenment, like we've had the scientific revolution and that's our sort of our new paradigm of how we see the world as science and evidence, which is great. But then the way we're actually doing things is largely not evidence-based <laughs> at all. Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that, that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself and if you're not happy with your own choices, then you're never going to be happy. Kia ora koutou and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. Today we have Peter Boma on the pod, outdoors access and equity champion, someone who makes others feel safe and comfortable through her approach to creating a more equitable world. When a fall left her paraplegic, her whole world changed where she had this entirely new identity. Peter's disability has shaped her view on social justice and change, discrimination, healthcare and accessibility. She has a strong curiosity for people and the world and restructuring systems and reimagining a better future which has, has led us to this conversation today. A special one I am very thankful to have. We will discuss many themes within the book It's Not That Radical by Michaela Loach and we will dissect why to address climate issues we also need to address human issues as a whole. We cannot provide complete solutions without acknowledging the spider's web of influence that businesses and people have on one another. It's also really important that I say while Peter and I will try our best to discuss the full breadth of challenges facing our world, we can really only cover two lived experiences in this episode. And no doubt uh, you adding a third to this listening, you'll notice that there are things we miss, nuances we don't cover, privileges, opportunities and access that we don't acknowledge as well. And especially with the day this launches being Waitangi Day, I think it's crucial to speak to the turbulent and emotional place our country is in right now uh, with Titiriti and I of course want to provide a very respectful and appropriate conversation, which I hope this is today. Uh, I look forward to unpacking this subject as much as possible and hearing your thoughts on it in the DMs. Please do let me know what you think. If you have any thoughts, if you've read It's Not That Radical, hit me up because those of us that read things like Sapiens and It's Not That Radical need to have some kind of book club because they're special reads and, and they're very interesting reads. Anyway, let's introduce the star of the show. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I'd like to welcome Peter. I've given her a bit of an intro at the start, so you would already have a great idea of who she is, uh, but I'm more than excited to have her here today to share her perspective. I met Peter almost a year ago now, so something I like to do before I do, do podcasts and invite people onto the podcast is I typically will ask them is there like a book or a resource or something that I can uh, sink my teeth into that can help provide some context into the way that you might think or the things that you do and Peter recommended me the book It's Not That Radical by Michaela Loach I think is how you pronounce her last name that has provided some really amazing insights for myself and a completely different and unique view on climate justice, which was a term and a phrase I probably wasn't using as much as I should have been before. So with that long little intro out of the way, Peter, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the One Up 
podcast and a big fan of yours and I'm honored to be here um, and having a chat about my favorite book probably or favorite book of last year. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm going through a bit of a turbulent patch at the moment trying to figure out uh, what to do next in a bit of a transition period in life. I finished studying halfway through the year so looking for my next move which is exciting but yeah big changes happening. How are you? I'm really good, thank you. I'm really, really good. Um, and I completely can resonate with the stress and the pressure of big change. And I know when these things happen, people might typically ask you questions like, oh, are you excited? You know, there's so many possibilities. <laughs> but the excitement is very much clouded by the fact that you're in this almost limbo and this perpetual state of unknown. So Yeah, life is all about embracing the uncertainty. So trying to lean into it. Too true, too true. Uh, and I would love to hear more about, you know, your studies and the mahi you do around that or have done. Yeah, so most of the mahi I've done is around disability justice and activism within Aotearoa, New Zealand, because that's where my lived experience is. So um, that's sort of where I've had um, the most to say. But my main passion is actually looking at big system upstream reasons for why things are the way that we are and why we're experiencing the problems that we're experiencing in our societies and how we could potentially reimagine a better world. So at the moment, I'm studying global studies and health science as a conjoint, looking into global politics and human rights and population health and sort of the overlap between those things. And I'm always thinking about how we've created our societies and how we could create them and imagine a world where things are more fair and things are better for everyone. Was the desire to learn more about and participate in reimagining a better future for people, was that a desire and a passion from, from very early on in your life? I was really lucky to do quite a bit of traveling as a kid and we would go to, went to various places in Africa and Asia and uh, made me gave me a real perspective on my own privilege and I was raised to really always be aware of my own privilege and um, in living in Aotearoa and being relatively secure financially um, and seeing poverty and inequality up front really at a young age really made me um, really passionate about why I, I guess when you're young you have quite like an emotional reaction to these things and that really ingrained it in me that this isn't fair and we can do better um so it's been a been a passion for my whole life and I think becoming disabled and experiencing life as a minority sort of just gave me a more personal experience of what it's actually like I often wonder how people initially become more interested aware and educated about the systems and structures we live within and how they impact different people because for me like I'm kind of only starting a lot of that learning journey now or within the last few years mm. um, specifically and for you how did you begin to apart from I suppose your uh, experiences both growing up and now were there resources or heroes or mentors you looked to or found within that journey that helped you become more aware of those systems and structures that impact people? That's a good question. I think it is like when you're 
within the system I've heard the analogy used it's like a fish doesn't realize that they're in the water you know another fish is asking how's the water and the fish says what water because when you're in the system like you don't see it it just feels natural it feels like it's the way things are but looking like taking a step back you realize we've actually created everything about the world like so much of our lives are socially constructed from the days of the week to our ideas of work and the economy and our values around that it's not actually inevitable or natural at all for me I just asked a lot of questions as a kid would be talking to people and listening and absorbing as much as I can and there's uh, various books and philosophers who I've been interested in at various points in my life this book it's not that radical that I read really brought it all together for me and you know to have it all in one resource and laid out in a logical order um I think was made it super impactful to me in the way I think about um, my own place in the systems as well it seems like you're very a deeply curious person how and you ask a lot Mm. of questions and I think the theme that I've seen throughout the people I've spoken to on this podcast and knowing for myself a theme of people who have the broadest perspective and the highest level of empathy are those who do have that deep curiosity and are able to ask questions freely which isn't always the easiest thing because there can be a lot of Mm. shame and guilt and sometimes it might feel inappropriate to ask questions all the time and and definitely be deeply curious I was just gonna say I know um I know curiosity is like the driving ethos behind the one-up project as well and your desire to like learn more from people and I really really admire that in you and in the project and I think curiosity is really how we build empathy it's it's taking away the assumptions and thinking actually let me like humble myself and ask questions and and realize that I don't know everything and I'm coming with Mm. um you know you come to everything with your own worldview and your own lens on stuff to sort of take a step back and be like let me just start from scratch and ask questions and you tell me how you see it Mm, mm, exactly and and I suppose try to authentically do that without and this is really hard because we all have our own subconscious bias, but try to Absolutely. ask people questions without placing a layer or a veil of your experience on top of what they're telling you and what their perspective is. And yeah. I think, I don't even know how like possible that truly is. Is that a hundred percent possible to no. really listen to someone without that, but to try and, and make sure that when you are listening to someone, it is with a very authentic and genuine sense of curiosity. And I can see within you, it sounds like that was something that was quite pivotal to probably becoming a lot more aware and educated, but also being able to contribute to more impactful and effective solutions in this space as well. Yeah, and also just this driving like, hope for justice which I think comes you know came from getting into this so young was like there's got to be a better way to do this and Mm. being in um you know coming from Aotearoa and we have lots of problems and uh, we talk about them a lot but having like 
a relatively peaceful, stable life growing up with social security and then seeing countries that had nothing, I was like, okay, like if we can do it, why can't they do it? And it's just like this very radical hope that actually we can do things better. I, I love that so much. And I think there is value in coming into those spaces young as well where that radical hope and I think the book even talks about this like can often get branded as uh someone being unrealistic or potentially naive mm, idealistic but I actually yeah idealistic yes that was the word uh but regardless of whether it even is any of those things I actually think that is a core part of making a movement so impactful is that you need the belief. And the book spoke about this a lot, is that a lot of people's restriction to uh, actually contributing to any kind of change is a lack of belief that something is possible. And mm-hmm. you need people with that radical hope, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a barrier that stops so many people from getting involved in activism is thinking, oh, like, it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to change anything. And you really um, have to humble yourself and into thinking like the movement is going to achieve something and to be like, to be a tiny part of that movement, even if you can't see the impact of your own actions directly, to know, have faith, put your faith and hope and trust in the movement and just be like, okay, because I believe in this, I'm going to show up even if, I'm not directly seeing the results of my actions, which is really hard. I think we're taught we're taught in the society to like set goals and achieve them and better yourself. And it's really outcome focused and to be like, actually, this is the direction we're heading. We can't see exactly how it's going to get there, but it's so important that we move in this direction that we're going to throw all our energy behind it anyway. And what's really missing from the activism space is like putting a positive lens on it rather than it's there's often a lot of like criticism and this is what's going wrong and we're not we're not going to accept this and we're going to hold you accountable which is really important but to really sustain people in this space I think we need to keep a vision of a future where things are fair and people are looked after and people feel safe and secure to go after things that they care about and get self-fulfillment and and um keep our eyes on the prize if you will to like Mm sustain the hope and the energy I really want to skip to the end here because I'm so excited but that was something that the book (laughs) discussed at the end was it had such a huge focus on empathy and yeah and also so like empathy was a massive thing I took out of this book and don't worry guys we will get into the detail in a second I just am trying to communicate with Pierre what I what I think of what she's saying because I think it's really important so it had that focus on empathy and then it also mentioned a unique perspective which I hadn't considered before which is not uh, placing one leader of the movement on a pedestal yes and making like the people the leaders of the movement or the collective I suppose yes yeah I think that's a really like western ideal as well as um we are very individualized and we want to wait for a hero to come save 
save us. Mm. Um, and, you know, one person's going to save the world or invent something or start a movement or we love focusing on on heroes in the past. And Greta Thunberg was that for a while. We were like, oh, yes, like this kid is here to save us. And um, to actually realize that that's not how it's going to work. We all have to do a little bit and chip in and lend our power to the movement. Um, mm. Put the power with the people is a different way of looking at things that I think is um, more of an indigenous worldview as well to see yourself as part of a collective and part of a group. And um, it requires humbling yourself. I've said that a few times now and recognizing that you are just a small part in a, in a bigger um, collective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's another part of books like this one that I've read recently is it it does help you to humble yourself to remove that ego, which is great because it's mm. like a lot of the time people aren't intention- intentionally trying to have an ego of sorts, but it will impact the way that you think about things. And the book has, has really helped me to provide a bit more context to my insignificance, but significance in, in so many ways. And mm. it has absolutely impacted one up. I can say that just thinking about as you were talking um, and how a Western view typically is quite individualized. And I think one up was like that for quite a while or is like that or has been like that where the podcast mm. has always focused on how you as an individual can grow wealth and become more financially literate and sort of mm-hmm. work better within a capitalist system and, and grow mm-hmm. like how are you growing your assets for yourself and maybe your family. Uh, but mostly about how you're growing your knowledge as an individual. And yeah. And that's how we're taught to be. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. And this isn't to say anything negative about that either. I think it's more just saying that my perspective on that is, and I think this book has played a huge part in that has switched a little bit now where I'm thinking okay well how do we actually like money struggles isn't just on the individual person the fact that I didn't mm-hmm. know I could switch my KiwiSaver fund isn't just a result of the fact that me as an individual never got the education there are so many bigger layers and systems and structures at play here as mm-hmm. to as to why that would have been the case and um, mm-hmm. that context around why people might struggle with money, why certain groups of people struggle uh, and forever struggle or end up getting better um, with money is due to these these systems. And I think that context helped make me a bit more hopeful about how I con- can contribute to a better solution, especially through having one up because I love having these yeah. conversations with people and I love like helping the individual of course and I think like if people are stronger individually we can be stronger together but I also recognize that maybe there is a difference between just you as an individual getting better versus you helping and and bringing up the people around you at the same time if that makes any sense yeah which is what you're doing with One Up Project, right? It's like you're not just investing into yourself, you're sharing the knowledge that you're finding with everyone else in an accessible format so that they can benefit from it as well. And I think sometimes um, 
there are lots of examples of solutions like this where people are um, seeing the faults in the system, in this case, like maybe a lack of financial education and finding ways they can do something about it themselves. In your case, spreading awareness through your podcast and helping people access it through that. And in this case, like realistically, you're not going to change the education system or, you know, that would be one strategy is to, is to get into advocacy against um, of the policy and changing that. But this is another strategy that's equally as valid is to take matters into your own hand and, and find alternative, like outside of the system ways of educating and increasing accessibility to this kind of information that helps people. Some people who might have uh, listened to this episode today will be listening to this episode and feel like maybe it was a bit out of their comfort zone. They didn't know what they were going to get from it. They might right now be thinking, why are they talking about a book that refers to the climate in the same conversation as they're talking about money how does that work mm-hmm. and the book in itself is right uh, is about a concept called climate justice which is different mm-hmm. to the concept of climate change um peter would you be able to help us like distinguish between those those two things so climate change refers to the ecological effects that are ha- happening because of our greenhouse gas emissions and um, the changes of the earth climate system. Climate justice refers, I guess, to our response to this and how we're going to transition our systems. They often talk about a just transition that responds to climate change as a crisis in a way that um, increases equity and well-being for everyone. I suppose how I began to understand climate justice as as well is that when we're talking about uh when we're talking about becoming a more sustainable world um an environmentally friendly world a uh climate conscious world it's not just a conversation about picking up rubbish and recycling anymore like the conversation is so much larger than that and and so much more holistic Mm -hmm. in terms of how we're actually impacting change and so I wanted to read out this quote from the book and get your thoughts on it um because I think it was quite significant the quote said we cannot cure a climate crisis without addressing its core which sits in colonialism and imperialism what has that meant to you, Peter, in terms of your kind of activism journey within this space? Yeah, so I think what this is getting at is we can't like look at the environmental crisis as something separate from our economical systems or um, the rest of our society is like, okay, so we've got our world going on and this is an issue that's come out of it. Like, it's actually the way that we're running our economy and the way that we think about our economy and our society and our nation states and how they run has caused the climate crisis and it's all interlinked and we can't treat it as just an issue that needs to be solved so we can keep doing things the normal way we've always done things we need to actually see how it's all interlinked and go back to the root and think okay if the way that we have been extracting resources from certain countries and using them in others and using 
you know, both natural resources and human resources, the way that we've had nation states in competition with each other to continually grow their GDP. If this is what's called the climate crisis, how are we actually going to solve this? And the answer comes into solving, um, recreating systems entirely and not just trying to make quick fixes in, you know, like recycling. That's a great example and something that a lot of people think of first when it comes to the environmental movement. And it's been shown it's actually a very ineffective. It's not making a big difference. And we all think it is. I think ultimately what it sounds like you were saying is that to solve the cli- climate crisis, it needs to be what is referred to as an intersectional approach, which means you're not just looking at the climate crisis through a keyhole. You're looking at it with all the surrounding um, things. Absolutely. And I, I've got like this image, because I'm quite a visual person. Like when I think of concepts, I think yeah. of it almost in a picture. And when I think about how this book talks about the climate crisis or climate justice, it's I really see it as being typically the world was viewing the climate crisis uh, with this tunnel vision. Like we were only mm-hmm. seeing it, only seeing 10% of what uh, the climate crisis was and how we could solve it. And with an intersectional approach and referring to climate justice and making that a part of our goals, we're taking into account more than just the tunnel, we're taking into account the entire landscape around it as well and all of the things that um, contribute to that existing environment, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's a really good way to put it. And not seeing, I've heard um, it said like climate change is not a bug of the system it's a feature of the system like it is mm. built into the system um and we can't just fix the symptoms of the problem we actually have to fix the root of the problem which feels overwhelming but it's also um sort of encouraging because it, it incorporates like so many of the human struggles that we're going through with inequality um and poverty and um food insecurity and water insecurity and bringing that all into it and looking at how things like education of women and girls um, is a climate solution as well. And it makes you realize that all of Mm. our problems are interlinked and in tugging at the threads to unravel any tiny part of it, like you're contributing to all of it in a way. How do you see progress in this space now? Like what to you... How would you define what progress looks like when contributing to climate justice? Yeah, so to me, progress is really simple. Like, all I want is to optimise well-being for humans and animals and reduce suffering as much as possible and to do that within the limits of the planetary boundaries. The way things work at the moment, we measure a country's progress through GDP, which is gross domestic product, and if a country is continually growing its GDP, it's seen as successful, it's stable, the economy's growing, there's more money available for people to do well. But this continual growth on a planet that does have limited natural resources 
is unsustainable. We cannot all keep growing all the time and it puts each country in competition with each other as well. So I want to see a real reframe of what if we measured progress in increase of human well-being and a country is successful if the human well-being each year increases. Um, so there's a few new indexes, indices of progress that are sort of coming out on the outskirts of economics like the Happy Planet Index, which um, looks at human well-being and environmental impact. And it um, was introduced by the New Economics Foundation. And it looks at human well-being and environmental impact rather than actually just how much trade and money a country is producing. So replacing GDP, our current measure of productivity and so-called progress, replacing that with something that is actually measuring human well-being. But if we just imagine a world where we are ranking our progress by an increase in well-being rather than using money as a proxy for well-being, we could measure the well-being directly um, and how that would change the decisions that we're making. It's so not funny, but interesting (laughs) that it almost seems like society as a whole, like capitalism, it works Mm -hmm. off the theory of capitalism more so than the reality of it, Mm -hmm. which is so strange when you think about the fact that we also live in a society that is so hell-bent on things being backed with like stats and figures and measures and (laughs) this and that. But like actually there's nothing to prove that the system we live within even works to the collective's benefit at all. If anything, it probably goes the other way. Yeah. And that is just... Yeah, I've been uh, Wild. learning that a lot over my degree in the last two years um, is that we think like we have since the age of enlightenment, like we've had the scientific revolution and that's our sort of our new paradigm of how we see the world is science and evidence, which is great. But then the way we're actually doing things is largely not evidence based at all, um, especially in mm. politics. Like we've known about climate change and about where we've headed for um, decades and decades, but there's other forces at play that's stopping us from actually making the most logical and scientific decision, and those forces often have to do with money. So in this case, it's um, it's big oil and their power that they have and their lobbying power and their power over the government because of their money that they have to fund campaigns and that sort of thing. And in health science, we see it as well in um tobacco industries and alcohol industries have money so they prevent us from having the policies that's actually the best for the human health um because they having money means having political power as well it's like through trying to create a system that increased the prosperity of people it's created its own worst nightmare yeah and i think we often think of the economy as like this outside force like this big power this big machine that's running and we've got to keep the economy going but we forget we are the economy and the economy is meant to serve us we're not here to serve the economy and I think that um Mm. is sort of a a hole we've found ourselves caught in is is thinking we are here to be productive and and to 
create economic value and to um, contribute is the way we put it, contribute to society. But surely our society and our economic system should be um, serving us and contributing to us and we should be building it so that it benefits us, not so that we benefit it. I completely agree. Have you read a book called Sapiens before? Yes, I love it. You have read it? Yeah, okay. I have. Incredible okay, that's, book. That's so funny. Yeah, I love it. I love it so much. And just with so many of the things you're saying. A brief history of humankind. Yeah, with so many of the things you're saying, I'm like, yes, that reminds me of so much of what was spoken about in there. And I think actually, for those of you who are interested in um, reimagining a better future, which I'd like to hope is everyone, um, Sapiens is a great book for providing early context I mean of course it's a brief history of humankind but it provides such great early context as to why um the world is the way it is and I think that just helps you to understand people and motivations so much better um and it probably in a lot of ways because as you're talking as well Peter I'm thinking like to a lot of people, this could all seem very overwhelming. Like, oh, it's just completely mm. fucked. How are we ever going to solve mm. this? And like, what what can I do as just an insignificant person? But having that earlier context in a lot of ways empowers you because you think, mm-hmm. yes, there was a way we, we got into this. So naturally, there must be a way to get out of it as well. And I think provides an empathy, a layer of empathy as to like why this is the way it is and so it seems almost logical that there are ways to come in and out of it yeah definitely and realizing that this isn't the way things have always been you know we created Mm. this and that's something I come back to a lot is is if our problems are socially constructed then we can socially construct solutions as well how do you move in the space without becoming completely overwhelmed or does that happen sometimes (laughs) yeah I absolutely sometimes get completely overwhelmed um and you know have to take little breaks and rest and you know it's like with the rest of life it's about um learning self-care as well and and um some of sustainability is about sustaining yourself and sustaining your communities around you so that you can keep coming back to the work um but I think like knowing that it's all in, interconnected means that any little part you're doing is contributing to the wider movement. So like you see it a lot in people will be like, oh, you're talking about free Palestine, but why aren't you talking about the other genocides going on and all the other injustices in the world? Um, and then, you know, natural way to think is like, oh, well, if I can't protest all of it, why protest any of it? But if you see it, all interconnected and all these systems um all these forces and powers that are creating the conflicts and the exploitation of people um as really the same thing then any little bit that you're doing is contributing to all of it and you've just got to put your trust in that and um keep your heart open to the joy and the connection in the community and I find that um taking action is the absolute best antidote to my overwhelm because I see especially when I can take action with other people and connect to people 
through the movement and I see how many other people care and are showing up as well. And it makes me realize that um, there's a whole movement of people all over the world fighting for justice in, in many different sectors. And we're all contributing towards justice in a wider sense in any little way. Like it all counts and it all adds up. It can be hard to remember that when, especially online, I mean, offline too, in your community silo, like your family Mm. um silo and then an online silo and I talk about that in terms of like sometimes you can feel you're in these closed groups that have these opinions that make up the whole world because you can't see Mm -hmm. any other perspectives and so it can be easy to become demotivated if you aren't reminded that everyone is trying to contribute to the same thing Mm -hmm. or or to creating a better world uh Mm -hmm. And I think that can put a lot of people off. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've seen it in activism spaces where people think, oh, well, I can't do it perfectly in one story or in one conversation, so why bother doing it at all? Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of um, people, and I do this to myself as well, being like, oh, I'm not an expert and other people know more than me, so I shouldn't say anything. Mm. But... Um, we've got to understand that messy action is better than perfectionism. We, we're not, no one's expecting anyone to show up perfectly or having all the answers. It's about trusting your emotional response to something and your innate sense of injustice and, and the anger and the grief that you experience because of it and doing something. And trusting that that something is counting, having these conversations is counting. Emailing your government um, representatives, it counts and you're part of this movement. No one no one is expected to show up perfectly. It's about if everyone was acting the way you were acting, would that create a world that you want to live in? Your actions don't become significant until you start believing they're significant. Because mm-hmm. if every single person uh, decided one day that their little little when he quotes action today is significant Mm -hmm. and suddenly you've got something a whole lot bigger than just what you've done or said um so it comes back to what we sort of spoke about at the start was like having that that belief yeah and knowing that there are people all over the world showing up as well I think that's been um a really incredible and inspiring part of the free Palestine movement is seeing these protests happening week after week all over the world people are showing up and they're showing up consistently Mm. um I think we just passed the past 100 days of the conflict where it must be at about 130 now and there have been protests every single weekend all over the country all over the world people are showing up consistently and we're all um holding our governments accountable and communicating our discontent and that's an absolutely vital part of a democracy is actually um speaking up and having your voice heard i wanted to read out this next quote from the book um and get your thoughts on it because i think the last kind of 25 percent of the book was where i uh really a lot of the concepts really resonated with me and Mm. the quote had said A new world is reliant on us being able to see humanity in all people, even if those people can't see our humanity. And Mm -hmm. 
you can tell like the author, Michaela, she has dealt with probably some incredibly challenging situations, not only in her own lived experience mm-hmm. growing up um, and just being a human, but in the spaces she works within, I'm sure many testing times where she has questioned um, humanity as a whole and the humanity of, of others. And I thought that this was a really, really important quote that was, was written because uh, it describes the importance of having empathy even when you're surrounded by people who don't have that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's really easy to lose faith when you think that other people aren't aren't acting in empathy. But I think um, I, th- I really truly believe that in a world where people's basic needs are provided for and they feel secure, they would act in the mm-hmm. best interest of others. Like we are pack animals at the end of the day. Like we want our communities to thrive and our um, the people we love to be thriving. And if we were living in a world where um, we had a collaborative approach to that and we knew that, you know, if my community thriving, I want your community thriving too because that, you know, benefits me and my community if we're all doing well. Um, having this, um, yeah, like collaborative approach and also an approach of abundance that there is enough for everyone to do well rather than an approach of competition and resource grabbing and greed that we see at the moment. The price of a human life is different in this world is that we've dehumanized people enough that we see certain lives as expendable our empathy must extend beyond those in our immediate surroundings and extend to every single person if we saw every single person is in this world is equally valuable which I think a lot of us do like that's what we believe but then the way that our world works doesn't reflect that belief and mm. I think that has to be the absolute bottom line is that Every human life is valuable. Every human life, you know, everyone deserves a decent standard and quality of life. And we have seen progress towards that with the um, Human Rights Declaration and things like that. And we just need to keep moving towards that in a spirit of abundance and collaboration that there is enough, there is enough for everyone in this world to do well. And we do well our best in our own communities do best if everyone else is thriving as well. Mm. It can be really difficult to practice high levels of empathy uh, in spaces like, like what you're in, for example, where that's consistently tested. How do you, like, how do you strengthen that empathy for yourself personally or try to? Yeah, it's really hard and I do want to recognise that there's a lot of emotional demand put on us all of the time to care about all of the issues all of the time and all of the people and there are so many issues and so many people that need help. Um, And with the rise of technology and globalisation that's extended, that we can see all the suffering all around the world all at once and it feels impossible to care about all of it all at once. so I do think there is a certain amount of mm. of strengthening the communities and showing up and showing care for the people around you that 
sustains your own spirit to be able to, you know, to have the capacity to care about people further away as well. That's a big part for me and that's something that you do see a lot in the activism space and especially I think, oh, Māori people are especially good at at the sense of community and shared care and looking after each other and I've experienced that in some activism spaces as well and showing up to like a tino rangatiratanga um, protest or hui and just experiencing the love and care I think is absolutely vital to sustain our ability to have empathy a lot of these things i mean as we know a lot of these things working together and we we can't just look at mm. issues in isolation anymore we have to look at them as a existing part of a dis- dysfunctional uh system that that so many of us need to be within in order mm. to thrive uh but something we had touched on at the start of the episode which i still see coming through as a really core root issue, especially in a Western um, context, because as you said, so many of us are struggling to care about all the different issues that need to be Mm -hmm. cared about at once. Additionally, with the pressures of our own lives and and people trying to thrive within a system that may not Mm -hmm. necessarily work for them, even though it also maybe provides some privileges that aren't also accessible in other parts of the world. There's so many, um, so many parts of it, but I think that a core piece that's important to remember, or at least that I took from this book, is that in order to create a, a future where we can increase prosperity and and have empathy for people, we need to believe that it can actually yes. exist. Um, you know, a world where wealth is distributed evenly and all people live peacefully. Um, it almost, and I think maybe Sapiens spoke about this and other psychology books speak about it where uh, there's a certain bias that leads us to the negative and it might be easier at times Mm -hmm. to just sort of mentally and emotionally give up where it's like oh what what can I do Um, there's so many problems and it can feel like this endless pursuit to maybe not a lot of progress at times but Mm -hmm. actually one of the most powerful things that anyone can do is keep that belief alive uh, Mm -hmm. because that will hopefully lead to little movements that will contribute to a bigger change ultimately but if you don't have that initial belief and that consistency in your desire to reimagine a better future then it it won't ever happen Um, Mm -hmm. and I think things like empathy and it all play into that because you're able to have that patience uh for other people getting on that train or contributing as well um so I think a lot of the work really sits around people having conversations about a future where people can uh, live better where we can increase prosperity for all people Mm. um and we can as you had mentioned before Peter value all lives as, as equal as well. So I think ultimately one of the main things that I took from It's Not That Radical was keeping that belief piece alive and knowing that that's a core part of this work um, while strengthening all the things or the resources that I contribute to outside of that that might actually help to create that practical change as well. 
And I, I think seeing all the problems and knowing about all the problems, like it sort of contributes to that individual mindset of, um, you know, it creates a sense of insecurity. We're all under this constant insecurity about money and about um, our, you know, how we're going to do well and make sure our families are going to do well and, and survive. And it puts us in this frame of mind where it's like, I need to do well and I need to be able to um, create the security for myself and in competition with everyone else. Um, so I think like it's a huge privilege to be able to hold hope and sustain this imagination of a better world and think, okay, like imagine how we would all be acting if we did have our basic needs provided for, if say there was universal basic income and we could, we had the, um, that security in order to hope and dream and, and volunteer and do the things that we're passionate about and solve issues and there's no reason why this couldn't be possible um and we have to keep imagining and believing in a world where this is possible where people are doing well where there's well-being where we have the chance to follow our passions and do what we care about and we all have that chance it's not just because I've personally managed to secure that for myself um, it's absolutely vital. And I think it's also important to note that the um, the people who are winning the system at the moment, if you will, like the people who are doing really well and do have the power currently, don't want us to believe that there can be anything different because um, if you're benefiting, you want to believe the system's good and you're benefiting because you deserve to be benefiting. Um, and so we're sort of taught to believe that this is inevitable. This is the way things have to be. Our capacity for change is limited. And the most powerful thing we can do is to break free from that and to allow ourselves to imagine prosperity to imagine abundance to imagine security for everyone to imagine being able to follow our passions and and have spare time and do what we care about and hold hope for that and keep moving towards that knowing that it's not going to happen this year or next year and it's a it's a long-term goal I do have one quote um about activism from June Jordan that I would love to share. So this is from June Jordan. She was an American poet, essayist, teacher, and activist. And this is what she said about activism. Activism is not issue specific. It's a moral posture that steady state pro propels you forwards from one hard hour to the next. Believing that you can do something to make things better, you do something rather than nothing. You assume responsibility for the privilege of your abilities. You do whatever you can. You reach beyond yourself and your imagination and in your wish for understanding and for change. You admit the limitations of individual perspective. You trust somebody else. You don't turn away. And just believe in, you know, we all do what we can with what we have and believe in the difference that you are making with your conversations or the passion that you bring to your mahi and um, showing up in spaces and and extending a radical empathy and kindness to everyone around you. Like we've got to all keep believing in the impact of our own actions, even when it's hard to see.
Mm, mm. There's so much power in showing up in the spaces you do and existing, um, especially in your work as well, Peter. I think there was a part of that quote that said uh, something about taking responsibility for the privilege of your abilities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you assume responsibility for the privilege of your abilities. Yeah, I think that's a really honourable way to live your life is to recognise your privileges and the things that you can do and the resources you do have and use that to share and grow the abundance for everyone around you as well. And yeah, I, like I said earlier, I think that's an amazing thing that you're doing with the One Up Project as well as you're sharing your gifts with everyone um you know anyone who has spotify and who's a listener and that's a really valuable way to um spread the abundance and the abundance of knowledge and learning that you pursue through your own curiosity oh thank you you have such beautiful words and peter i really would like to acknowledge your time on this podcast today i know that it can be um it can be just really challenging to talk about comprehensive, complicated topics um, like these. Mm. I know it's the the mahi that you already do, but it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't become emotionally draining over time and it can still be hard to continue to realise um, our own privileges and act on, on the abilities we have, as mm. the quote had said. So I really appreciate you being here today and being willing to share a part of your mahi with us and um, your perspective in, in these spaces. It's truly valuable to everyone who's listened and especially if they've gotten to this point in the podcast, um, you've definitely left them with some breadcrumbs that they'll be able to take into their own life and uh, put into their conversations yes, with people. So yeah, no doubt your impact has been massive. And again, I just really appreciate your time here with us. Oh, thank you so much for being open to, um, you know, reading a book just based on a suggestion and really absorbing the ideas. I hope that, um, yeah, this is an expensive, feels like an expensive conversation. I hope that people do get something out of it. It's been really, um, really great to share and talk to you about it and, yeah, share my passion for this book and this work and the constant um, struggle and towards justice. And it is hard to keep showing up, but we can do hard things. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The One Up Project. If you want to find more stuff just like this, check out our other apps or follow us at The One Up Project on Instagram or TikTok. See you there.